Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance, and for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning and welcome to Zero Today. I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, Ellen from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and empowering you, our listeners, to knowing, being, and impacting the world around you. That's what we're here to do. That's what we've come to do. That's what we hope to do. And we thank you for tuning in every Wednesday. At 11 a.m. Central Time, we thank you for those who've been supporting us over the years. This makes six wonderful years that we've been doing this broadcast. Six awesome years. Wow, look at that. Uh, it's amazing, and I'm excited about every time we get to do this, and I thank you for your support over the years. But anyway, as I said before, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. There are several ways you can do it. The primary way is if you want to get your thoughts in, on the air, you can call the number 347-237-5230. That's the number to call to get your thoughts on the air. Also, the chat room is open, so you can go into uh, blogtalkradio.com slash zero today and get in on the chat room. We'll open that. Also, go visit our Facebook page, Zero Network on Facebook, and you can catch up archive shows there. Share your comments there also if you like as well as follow me on uh, Twitter. Uh, personal handle is at Prophesy, P-R-O-P-H-E-P-S-I, and the show handle is at Zero Radio. So we're looking forward to hearing your thoughts and sharing your commentary and dialogue. We have a wonderful topic that we're going to be talking about today. History has been made with Miss Hillary Clinton, who has become the first woman in history uh, to win the presumptive uh, nomination of a major Democrat, um, a major political party, the Democrats. So, you know, that's a great thing. But also, we see uh, a shift with evangelicals overwhelmingly supporting Donald Trump. And, you know, we'll talk about some of the antics he's been doing. But the question we're putting forth is that if you're seeing the shift in politics and faith and practices, what does that mean? And what role, uh, what role does the black church have in that? We'll talk about that uh, later on in the broadcast. But it's before we go forward any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for this opportunity to be on the air. We thank you again for every good and every perfect gift that comes from you. Now let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, you know, <laughs> I ask. I scan the internet for a lot of stuff, and I always come across crazy stories. And church, you know, crazy church stories just fascinate me. But there's a story that I found. Uh, again, I want to give credit to Ann Brock and uh, old church late uh, the black the old black church uh, uh, site for 
she collects all of these stories. If you want, you want to be caught up on some of the latest news regarding uh, the black church or the church in general, uh, the old black church, uh, Ann Brock and her community there does a wonderful job and um, giving the shout out to her and her site. But she gave a story that I just found it hard to believe. <laughs> you know, Everybody's coming up with titles and, and their titles of preachers, their title of pastor, bishop, apostle, yada, yada, so forth and so on. In South Africa, there is this guy who is claiming to be a prophet, and uh, his name is Penuel Menguini, I guess that M-I-N-G-U-I-G, Menguini, M-N-G-U-N-I. Anyway. He's with End Time Disciples Ministries out of South Africa. And to prove that God can do anything, to prove that God can do anything, he called two of his followers out and demonstrated that God can do anything by putting them in some type of trance and uh, laying them down on the ground, having them lay down on the ground and proceeding to run them over in his car. You heard it right. To prove that God could do anything, he had them lay down on the ground and run them over <laughs> in a car. Ran over them and then reversed and ran back over them. And they got up saying they felt no pain and they proceeded to shout. And, and of course, that made other people shout. Now, now I, I, I've seen a lot of magic tricks in my day and I understand just a little bit about physics and the laws, thermodynamics and all that pressure and all that stuff. And I do understand that you can, you know, you, I've seen these, these strong man feats, you know, they do stuff like that all the time. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, pressure <laughs> and speed. And, you know, of course, he drives over them pretty fast. There's not going to be much pain if he drives over them pretty slow and uh, depending on, Picture in the car looked kind of small, compact vehicle kind of thing. So, either way, that, that did not prove that God was powerful because He ran over. But people believe it. People, people believe this, and you want to you, you want to call them out and, and embarrass them. But at the same time, you want to laugh. Me, I want to laugh at them and say, you know what? Y'all go ahead and continue to do the gimmicks. And Paul. This way in 1 Corinthians 2 said, you know, I didn't come by any fancy words or anything like that, but by demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit. But the power of the demonstration of the Holy Spirit was not in gimmicks. He didn't do gimmicks. Or we can assume he didn't do gimmicks. He, the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit was in, in manifestations of spiritual gifts. The gifts of tongues, the gifts of healings, the gifts of faith, the gifts of various uh, miracles, things of that nature. The gifts of interpretation of tongues and prophecies and all of that. Those were the manifestations that he allowed the, uh, the people to see that led to the belief, conversion. Uh, today, I think we're, you know, everybody, everybody has a gimmick. Not everybody. I'm, I'm overgeneralizing. Uh, somewhat purposely, but you know, people have taglines, and I, I remember T.D. J. said the tagline, "Get ready," you know, and he said, "Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready," and, and that was his tagline. Uh, that's what launched him to fame, uh, and uh, you know, um, I think Oral Roberts had the "I believe in miracles," some you know, something like that, but you know, this is not. It's it, I'm, it's funny, but at the same time it's sad because people are buying into this. Um, but it is what it is, you know. Pray for people that they uh, not wait for for signs and wonders, uh, because there will be demonstrations of signs and wonders as if we understand and according to some people still, you know. There'd be an overwhelming abundance of such, but they will be manufactured, concocted to sway 
persons away from the believer. And also, you know, when you read in the story of the Exodus, um, when Moses and Aaron went before Pharaoh, and every everything that Aaron and Moses did, uh, Pharaoh's sorcerers were able to do also, or at least concoct. So, you know, it, it, it I don't know what to say. I just find it hilarious that... Um, that you know, people thought just because he ran over somebody with a car that that was the demonstration of the power of God. Doesn't say that he preached. Well, it does say that he went on to 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 do some some talking. But it is what it is. Um, Petrick Hatton opened his church. He opened the church, and um, I think he opened it last year. The name of the church is Hill City Church, um, and now you know they moved to they have Sunday service. Now uh, I, I'm wishing him well uh, for his church. Uh, I I don't know what to make of it, but it's it's nothing new. It's not a new trend. This has been going on. Uh, gospel music singers uh, becoming Pastors, it's, it's, that's nothing new. It's nothing new. And if you remember the story when uh, Diedrich's father uh, got ill or whatever, he took over the church in Detroit, and the scandals came between he and his wife. And, you know, it led to their divorce, led to him relocating, and I think he's married now to the young lady that he had an affair with, had a child with. And they're launching that ministry, so wish them well. Uh, do hope that it does well. But you know, I, I do hope that people don't go to the church just because uh, Deidre had is the pastor. You know, some will, but I, I don't think I don't think that's what they ought to do. It doesn't need to hear nor there. Uh, a few weeks ago, there was this video. Pastor Jamal Bryant and a local Baltimore uh, activist, uh, PFK Boom, I think that's his name. Anyway, uh, it, it, it went viral on Facebook that this guy, PFK Boom, uh, readily confronted uh, Pastor Jamal Bryant about his seemingly non-presence or in certain parts of the Baltimore community. And as they were holding a uh, uh, some type of event, this is right before the some of the verdicts, but uh, shortly after one verdict from Freddie Gray and others that followed. But anyway, in a video, this guy, the activist gets all up in uh, Pastor Bryant's face and Pastor Bryant uh, walks away seemingly uh, Embarrassed uh, and non-confrontational, it and so that went that went viral. Well, uh, just just weeks after that, recently uh, the two have been seen, or they they did reconcile at some some point. They made amends and they gathered to do the work. And there's a picture now of Pastor Brian and uh, PFK Boom. And uh, another activist from the Baltimore city, uh, several activists from Baltimore uh, working together, unifying to come together to make a difference and make a change in uh, that city. So just want to commend all of them who are working to make a change in that city, in that area, in that region, because it's needed. Uh, we're seeing too much right now, division. When we need unity, and unity is such a broad word because perspectives differ, um, methods differ, and it's very hard for us to identify with a unified uh, identity, uh, movement. It hasn't happened too frequently in black history. (laughs) But I'm glad that these brothers in particular uh, are working, especially in lieu 
of uh, the scandal that's going on with uh, Pastor Bryant. And I don't really want to call it a scandal. It's you know it's personal business, but you know when when personal business gets leaked, and you know now it becomes a scandal. And it's interesting. Uh, uh, this week the Hamptons Ministers Conference is going on, and I sure wanted to be there. I would love to have been there this year. And uh, Pastor Brian is one of the speakers, along with several other great dynamic speakers that are going on. And I was I was. Thinking to myself, in light of what he's experienced, uh, you know, he has a talk show that's about to go on the air with him and E. Dewey Smith and the other two pastors uh, that's going to be on Fox morning. And you have uh, him, uh, of course, our general, the African Methodist Episcopal uh, Church General Conference coming up and his father being our senior bishop is about to retire. Um it seems like there's a lot that's on his plate. Now, I'm really wondering how he's faring. And, and, you know, all we can do is just pray for the brother. And that's all I am doing, just praying for the brother's strength. And uh, he's, he's shown resilience. That's for, that's for sure. Uh, he's shown resilience. So I, they had nothing to do. I just thought I'd throw that out uh, out there. One more thing. Um, no, that's it. That's it. Let me take a quick break here. We'll get into the topic of the day. And we're talking about uh, the shift in politics, uh, faith, and praxis. Uh, and again, we'll talk a little bit more about this when we get back from the break. Take this quick break and uh, get into it. So we'll be right back after this. <laughs> $59.99 a year, Carbonite backs up your irreplaceable files automatically so you don't have to. Try it for free at Carbonite.com. At Farmers, we make you smarter about insurance because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars? Off to Hawaii. What if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises, so should the coverage on your jewelry? Ah. What if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation? The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are farmers. Bum, da, da, bum, 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 bum. How much money do you need to make each month? That's the first question we'll ask when you decide to start your own home business through IncomeAtHome.com. As a success coach, I'm here to guide people like Karen, who needs to earn serious money from home. We were living payday to payday. And with four teenagers at home, we were worried. By the third month, I was banking more than $2,600. After only 18 months, I was consistently earning more than $7,000 a month. Now, it's a six-figure income, and I'm paying cash for college for four kids. We found our way out of rat race. Listen, this isn't selling soap or energy water to your friends. This is a real business, bringing potential customers to your computer so you can earn money 24-7. Incomeathome.com is affiliated with a multi-billion dollar company and carries a triple A rating. So how much money do you need to earn each month from home? Visit Incomeathome.com right now for your chance to win $1,000. Friends, there's nothing as soothing as having a sweet aroma penetrate all of your senses. Peacock, the newest candle fragrance by Heatcentric, is that aroma. Peacock is a vegan hand-poured candle that fills the room with a soothing aroma that everyone is guaranteed to enjoy. 
Peacock by Hecentric is the fragrance developed by Lady Jocelyn Sanders that's designed to reflect the glory in everyday life. I guarantee you will not disappoint it when you order your candle today from Hecentric. I have one at home and in my office, and I tell you, it's so good. It helps me relax at home, and it helps me concentrate and stay on task in the office. You need to order yours today by visiting LadySanders.com, and while they also pick up a copy of her book, The Encounter, I'm telling you, you will love both. Peacock by Hecentric, reflecting the glory in everyday life. Back to the day again. I'm your host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, and uh, we're glad that you tuned in with us today. We're going to be talking about uh, faith, politics, and praxis, uh, the shift that's happening, and and uh, what what role is the Black Church playing in this shift now? Um, as stated, as we as we began the the show, we offered our congratulations to uh, us. Secretary Hillary Clinton, who is uh, has officially become the presumptive nominee uh, for the Democratic Party for President of the United States, she made history in doing so, becoming the first woman to ever in American history uh, do so. Now she's not the first woman to run for president. Uh, the first woman to run for president was as early as the 19th century. And, of course, we know uh, Shirley Chisholm in the 70s ran, and there's several. Roseanne Barr ran in 2008 or 2012, one of those years. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's not like she's the first person to run. And it isn't like she's the first person to uh, take the national political stage, first woman to take the national political stage. We know Geraldine Revol- uh, Rivera in uh, the 80s. When she was Walter Mondale's VP candidate, uh, also the very, very, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, <laughs> just thinking about made me laugh, uh, Sarah Palin in 2008 as John McCain's running mate, VP running mate, and yeah, <laughs> so it's not like she, uh, this is, uh, she's the first woman to ever get this She's the first woman to ever get the nomination, secure the nomination. And she will be in July at the Democratic Convention accepting uh, the nomination for president. She'll probably announce who her running mate is and all of that. And this is going to be an interesting, very interesting, interesting uh, campaign. This is the first time in American history where a first lady becomes you know, Hillary, of course, was first lady of the nation with uh, her husband, Bill Clinton. And she was the first first lady to be elected as a senator. And she was the first first lady to be nominated and appointed as the secretary of state, which is the third highest. You know, she was the third in command. Uh, so she has been, Hillary has been setting herself up for this moment Says she was the first lady of the state of Arkansas with her husband, Bill Clinton. So it's going to be here historical because if she is elected president, not only will she be the first first lady to be elected president, but Bill Clinton will be the first president to be the first gentleman of the, state of the country. And he'll get his chance to move back into the White House. Oh, boy. Anyway, so this is an interesting dynamic. Uh, on the left, because he, uh, and while, from my, all accounts, Bernie Sanders has not given in and has not conceded, he's still stating that he is in the race till the end, uh, whatever that is, and whenever that is. And they meet he, uh, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, and uh, I believe President Obama will be meeting 
uh, tomorrow in the White House or on the phone. I, I don't know how to do it. I just saw it on the news this morning. Uh, anyway, it's a very historic election on the left because uh, the left is now in the process of forming is a more progressive uh, platform. If you remember in 2012, 2008, 2012, uh, the platform was very, very, uh, well, it was distinguished <laughs> from all other things. But in one of those, uh, one of those uh, cycles, they voted uh, to uh, take God out of something. I can't recall exactly what it was. But anyway, so it's going to be an interesting time. Now, on the right side of the spectrum, for the Republican, you have Donald Trump. And Donald Trump overwhelmingly secured uh, uh, the nomination by way of courting the traditional evangelical uh, Christian vote. And he got some black people too, <laughs> black preachers supporting him. And, and it, it's just been an interesting dynamic. It really has because uh, Trump has in no way slowed down his rhetoric or toned down his rhetoric at all. Um, and, and while he's received the endorsement of just about every Republican, major Republican that he needed to, uh, in lieu of certain statements that he just made recently about a, a judge who was uh, uh, overseeing or officiating his trial or, or whatever it is about Trump University uh, and he called him biased because just because he's Mexican that was the only that's the only reason he said you know the dude is Mexican and um, that was enough for him to say that he can't he can't be unbiased <laughs> yeah and a backlash from that and people still uh, even though they're endorsing him and said, we don't endorse what he said, but, you know, that's the way y'all are. So the question is, where does this put faith in politics? Because it's a lot of shifting. You have, and, and you understand now, here's, here's what we're looking at as far as presidential nominees from the two major political parties. We're looking at uh, Hillary Clinton, who is at best fraudulent in in as as a Secretary of State, you know, regarding particularly regarding the incident in, in Benghazi, Libya, where when uh, September 12th, if you've been following the story, you know, of course, on a, if you're a Republican, you've been following the story because that's what they've been trying to attack her with. But um, uh, an ambassador and four four soldiers are killed in an am, in, in attack at uh, the uh, embassy there. And initially, it was put out that a, a video uh, against the Prophet Muhammad incited this riot that led to this event, and that was proven to be false. That you know that was the initial thing, and then. It was discovered that um, uh, uh, Ms. Clinton failed to provide support, adequate support, even though there was uh, this was knowing this has been, you know, the attack had been uh, pre pre known, and, and still there was no support provided for this ambassador and and this particular embassy. So, and the scandal from that. Uh, and more recently, uh, the discovery of a private email server that contained uh, sensitive material um, from President from uh, Secretary Clinton. And so you have at least a, you have a person who is at the very least fraudulent in her decorum and in her affairs. Now I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying deceptive, but definitely fraudulent. She didn't. Tell the truth or the whole truth, but then again, her husband was the same way, and he, <laughs> you know, infamously in 1998-99, infamously as he was being investigated for one thing by Kenneth Starr, 
uh, turned, it led into a, a total different investigation that led to the uncovering of the affair he had, you know, Monica Lewinsky, and he, he adamantly denied, looked into everyone in the camera and said, I did not have relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. <laughs> and I, I remember being in college and, and I learned, I, I thought I knew what sex was, <laughs> but we got a whole new definition of what sex was and, and so forth and so on. So you have deception on that side, at the very least, deception. And then on the other side, you have a person who has little to no religious value. I'm not going to say he doesn't have any, but little to none religious value. He's narcissistic, and and that's putting it nicely. You can tell he's only concerned about himself and the bottom line. And he's thrice divorced. Uh, you know, womanizer, and he's unrepentant of this. You know, he, you know, he feels that he doesn't have to ask God for forgiveness and all that. And he said this publicly, so it's not, it's not like we don't know what this guy is. You're talking about a person who didn't even know how to say Second Corinthians, and yet by droves, white evangelical Christians voted overwhelmingly in their primaries and their caucuses for him, for Donald Trump. And they did this as he was spewing out rhetoric uh, against uh, minorities left and right. And and just recently, you know, <laughs> I have to laugh at this because it's so funny. You know, it, it tried, and, and just recently, just a few days ago, and trying to show that he was receiving the support of African-Americans, he's like, I had this one African-American, and he did this, and, oh, look over there. There there he is. There's my African-American. There's my African-American. <laughs> it's like the white, you know, the white person that only has one black friend, and he's determined to let everybody know, hey, hey, there's my, there's my black friend. Hey, black friend, come over here. <laughs> That's what it's like. And it's sad. It's sad that it's like that, but that is the way it is. So, long story short, um, long story short, this is the options that we have uh, between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Now, that's for the major parties. Now, there are at least another dozen or so persons running for president. There's there are at least uh, several libertarians. The most prominent is Gary Johnson, uh, he of the Libertarian Party, who is running. There are several persons, uh, a person from the Green Party, a person from the Constitutional Party, and a person who just wrote their names in. Uh, there are other Democrats, well, maybe not from the Democratic Party, but Democratic affiliated uh, persons running for president. And uh, I forgot the, I, I got it. I got the list. Um, let me see. Let me put it. See if I can pull it up. Oh, I had it somewhere. The people running for president is quite a bit, and um, oh well, I can't find it. I have to look it up. Anyway, so what we're seeing in our in, in our presidential election, you know, some people, are, some some other countries are laughing, and a lot of them will probably would prefer Hillary Clinton just because of her experience. You know, she was first lady, she was secretary of state, she was a, a U.S. senator. And she does understand the inward workings of the political system, you know. And and they would prefer probably dealing with her than Donald Trump. <laughs> but from a, a faith perspective, from a faith perspective, particularly from a black faith perspective, where does that put us? Now we know, and it's no big secret that 
a majority of black Americans overwhelmingly support the uh, Democratic Party at the local level. Uh, you know, most of your city councilmen, county supervisors or leaders uh, are, are, are Democrats. At the national, at the state level, it's it's a, it's here in the South. Uh, most of the black elected officials are on the Democratic ticket, even if they have conservative values and they may vote uh, conservatively. You know, they may be for small government, limited government, uh, you know, fiscal accountability, and you know, all that. They may share those values, a conservative or a Republican, but they uh, they they have a D beside their name. And of course, at the federal level, just about there is only one uh, person in uh, in Congress right now. Uh, well, in the Senate, Tim Scott of, of South Carolina is um, a Republican, and I think he caucuses with the uh, Black Caucus. I'm not sure. Um, he may may not. Uh, I Mia uh, can't think of her last name out of um, Utah. She's a Republican. Others, uh, there are a couple of others uh, in Congress, but again, uh, Black Republicans, Black conservatives are open, openly Black conservatives and Black Republicans are uh, are a minority politically, and so overwhelmingly, as a voting voting block, we vote democratically. The problem is. We don't always vote for the ones that share our our uh, principles or our values. I got several resources that I think would be very very helpful for us. Uh, the first one is a book. Uh, and I talked about this book before, and I used it in reference to uh, Dr. Tony Evans' book, "How Should Christians Vote?" And while it does not endorse a party. It does give um, uh, both scriptural inference as well as uh, just you know good common sense to me uh, how Christians should vote regarding our values and it does not negate the scripture that says uh, you know we should respect those who are in authority as Romans thirteen said we are to be subject to those in authority and. Um, all of us have to do that, and all of us, according to Scripture, should pray for those in authority. And I believe in doing that. I do that, and I, 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 I lead my church in doing that. We pray regularly for those in authority on the local, state, and federal levels, because and for those who are seeking to do so. And even in our church, because we elect our church leadership also. So we're going to prayer. Regarding that also But Dr. Evans helps to point out You know that there is a There is a difference between the sacred and the secular And we need to be aware of that uh, We do need to render Unto Caesar that which is Caesar's But also we need to render unto God That which is God's And sometimes we must find a, a the Then line of balance Between separation Of these things I'm particularly I, I believe in the separation of church and state, and if I found it very difficult at times to do so, uh, functioning when I was in public education, functioning you know, to differentiate my role as pastor and, <laughs> and teacher, uh, because there was occasions where I had to step into my role as pastor while I was in, in public education, and there there's room for you know there's room for that. I I personally don't think. You know, while we should have Christians in a public arena, we do need Christians in a public arena. We do need that voice heard to differentiate the voices of evil and injustice. We do need that. But at the same time, our political agenda uh, should correlate with our scriptural identity. We are crucified with Christ, yet we live. But we don't live, yet not I, as Paul writes in Galatians 2.20. We're crucified with Christ, yet I live, yet not I. But the life that I live, I live by the 
faith of the Son of God who died for me. And it goes on to say, it does not negate that. And we must remember that. We're not the living dead. We're not zombies, but we are the living dead. Our members should be mortified, you know, so that they're no longer slaves of sin. And that includes the political system. Because the political system is a creation of the world. And if we understand uh, our what we infer from scripture, Paul says that the, the kingdom of his world does not belong to God, but it belongs to, you know, who? And there's a lot that can be applied there. Everything is demonic, but we certainly see the more sec those who are calling for the more secularized government are, are demanding certain things. And we're seeing that particularly just a few weeks ago uh, with uh, uh the ruling that came down from the Justice Department regarding uh, uh, school, public schools, and the uh, transgender uh, bathroom policies. I, you know, and again, you'd be surprised how many were kind of sidetracked by that, sideswiped by that, because they didn't see it coming down the pipeline. But uh, those of us who have been alert, we've seen a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline. That we tried to call out again as watchmen on the wall, we called out against, and some people are like, well, you know, they buy into the rhetoric of tolerance, and tolerance is not always a good thing. <laughs> As a matter of fact, there's the truth about tolerance that tolerance is sometimes more dangerous than we think, because when you start putting up with anything, you know, just allowing everybody to have their way, you get things that you don't want. And it bites you back. It bites you back bad. So anyway, so um, what does this what what does this put the black church? Just recently, um, uh, Bishop Charles Blake, who is the pastor of the West Angeles Church of God in Christ, and also the presiding bishop of the nine uh, of the the Church of God in Christ International. He was receiving. He received a lot of negative attention, unwanted. I'm sure quite unwanted uh, for having uh, former President Bill Clinton visit his church and stomp on behalf of his wife Hillary Clinton. And the reason he got a lot of uh, pushback was because Clinton was allowed to be in the pulpit and speak from the pulpit and. You know, it made the appeal as to why his wife was the better candidate in, in the election, uh, what primary for California than Bernie Sanders. And of course, you know, Clinton, Bill has this appeal. I'll never forget meeting Bill Clinton in 1992 while he was still governor. And when I came to Arkansas to go to college and had the chance to interact with him while he was president, he remembered my name, <laughs> I, you know. And on several occasions that I did have the chance to meet with him and talk with him and share time with him was just precious. The guy's amazing. You know, who doesn't love Bill Clinton? <laughs> Let me stop. Anyway, so uh, he caught slack because he allowed him to thumb the pulpit and campaign on behalf of his wife. Now, I've, I've cut that policy out. I'd never any time have allowed a politician to speak from the pulpit ever I've allowed them to be recognized And I would not let them stop in my church You know uh, That's from the local to state to federal I, I just never allowed that uh, We have had uh, Congressman Benny Thompson Come to our church for our men's day He spoke and he spoke from the podium Not the pulpit And again you know It was for uh, a program And it was, it was good having him You know he knows Half my folk, anyway, they grew up together. Anyway, uh, but that's just my rule. I, I I don't allow for. I recognize you. Folk know who you are, especially if you white. You come to the congregation, they already know what you're coming for because you ain't gonna come back. <laughs> but um, it is what it is. But I uh, and that that's the thing, you know. Black politicians, white politicians have always known that they, if they garner the black church, that the black church 
will mobilize quickly and will get them the votes that they need. And it's, it's worked for the last, you know, several generations. It's worked. It has worked. I, I remember my grandfather, when I was learning to vote, my grandfather taught me about the ticket. And what he said is that on the ticket, all you got to look for is who is the Democrat. And that's what you do. You just vote for them. You just you know, vote by the name. And that's the ticket. You know, they back in the day, they used to give them a list of all, and some of them still do. Uh, they give them a list of all the candidates for this particular party. And they say, on the voting day, this is what you do. You don't have to question. This is who you vote for, just because. This is our ticket. So it did not give them much room to really, really investigate the candidate, find out about the policies, find out what their belief system really was. And in this case, for both candidates, we really don't know. Hillary has played the game well. Hillary, you know, was kind of forced to go to church, especially after her husband's fall from grace. You know, she really had to put on a faith face. Like, she really had to say, my faith brought me through when that may not have been the case because, you know, yes, faith is private, but she literally, if you interact with her, you'll you'll see that she really doesn't care for it. Doesn't really care for the gospel. Doesn't really care for the idea of Christianity, aside from the fact that she knows she needs those votes, those persons of faith to vote, even if the platform does not reflect what they actually believe. There are going to be thousands of people who go to these these conventions, both both conventions. And on the left side, you're going to have the liberals, progressives who are trying to be the party for all. Anybody who is anybody, whatever you are, we're going to have something for you to make sure that you feel welcome, loved, and accepted. And then you have a right. They're saying, well, no, we're the great Bible-believing. You know, we're going to stand for God and country. You know, guns, God, and country in that order. (laughs) Maybe country, country guns, and God. I, I think that's probably... The better one, maybe guns, country, and God. Either one of those, either one of those country, uh, those, those yeah, alliterations work. <laughs> either way, but that's what you're going to be seeing. You're going to be hearing a lot of the rhetoric about faith and how how their faith is infused and how the country was founded on traditional Christian Judeo-Christian values. You're going to hear those people on the right talk about God this, God that, and gun this, and gun that, and and that's going to, because that's what the base is. You know, pro-life, you know, pro-family values, pro, you know, all of this stuff, you know, you know, traditional marriage, and while that's great, there leaves no room for acceptance because the rhetoric is saying that if I don't agree with you, and I'm not welcomed by you. Whereas on the other, you're saying, oh, we don't care. We'll welcome you. And for the black church, this that's, that that uh, that dissonance is there. Because the black church is largely conservative regarding social issues. Very conservative. We still are pro-life overwhelmingly, even though... In the black community, uh, uh, abortion is the highest in the black community, but we're still largely pro-life. We'll, we'll celebrate a baby being born out of wedlock, wedlock to a mother who was a teenager or a mother who already has several kids. We'll celebrate that over having a woman have an abortion. You know, we'll shun that. We're still largely um, against same-sex marriage, even though we got out. We got relatives we know got sugar in the tank. <laughs> we know we got members in our churches, especially some preaching, some on the, on the instruments, and a lot within the pews who identify as same-sex loving. Yeah, we're conflicted in how we should embrace them because we don't want to put them out. We want them, but at the same time, we want them to understand what we under, how we is, interpret Scripture to be 
conflicts with what we want to see. We want to see you engage in our ministry, but we also know what Scripture says, and, and that's that conflict. It's a dissonance that is antagonistic when it comes to the black church and praxis politically. Because while we identify morally as conservatives, politically, we're, you know, it, it's not being expressed that way. And so a lot of the policies, particularly within the last eight years, have not really reflected the black church, even though Obama came out of the black church. You know, in 2008, he had to shun uh, Dr. Jeremiah Wright, who is a preacher, extraordinaire, black liberationist, you know, preacher, and a ministry in Chicago that focused on blackness and identity and, and community empowerment and liberation. And he, Obama had to distance himself from that rhetoric, uh, thanks to the media. And in doing so, you know, while he spent 20 years in that, what he spent, it did not reflect in his presidential administration, with the exception of all the things he's done in favor of those same-sex loving persons. Not knocking him, but that's, that's reality. So where does that put us as a church, as pastors? Because as I talked about last time, this is convention and conference season. They're going to be making the rounds. I know, you know, the last uh, two quadrennial in 2008, Barack Obama came to uh, the AME General Conference in St. Louis, and the bishops of the church laid hands on him, and that picture became it was viral. He hadn't been elected; he had just secured the nomination. And you know, the picture of the bishops of the AME Church laying their hands on President Obama has become one of the most recognized moments of his presidential uh, time. And then in 2012, uh, First Lady Obama spoke. She delivered a, uh, an address to the body at our general conference in 2012 in Nashville. So it's going to be interesting this year uh, if Donald Trump gets an invitation. <laughs> Uh, but I'm quite sure that Hillary Clinton would probably come. She's been before, I'm sure. Um, but again, you know, while we're wrestling with this idea, while we have this dissonance occurring in the black church, we're going to have these persons coming in and trying to persuade us to vote for them while neglecting the fact that we're wrestling with the dissonance of our identity as Christians and our platform Politically And we're not going to deal with it More than likely we're just going to clap Applause and then Go with the ticket and suffer Four more years of disappointment because What we're seeing and what we're practicing Is not congruent with each other That's a great thing We have to make what we do And what we say What we believe and what we do Congruent Correlate be emphatic on the fact that what I believe is going to be put into place politically, actively. And we got to make sure that we do that. Uh, there's another, you know, I could go on and on about that. And I want to. And I know a lot of people, a lot of preachers wrestle with this. How can I empower my people to share the values of the gospel that we find in scripture and then not let them vote? Ignorantly of the same It's it's a challenge You don't want to be shunned <laughs> And you're dealing with a, You're dealing with generations of Praxis And the praxis itself has to be changed You know we saw that white folk Weren't scared to shift Their vote And they did they shifted their vote From people like Marco Rubio Ted Cruz who was the evangelical, you know, prince. But they shifted their vote. They shifted their vote to somebody that they said, well, this person is talking better and doing better, and we're going to go with them instead of the person who reflects what we actually believe. That's, that said a lot right there. 
And if they can do it as a voting block, if they can do it and have Donald Trump as their representative for president, their nominee for president, why can't we do it as black folk? Why can't we as the black church do the same thing? Why can't we shift and and be empowered to say we're not going to fall in line with that if we don't agree with it and get our leaders to fall in step with what we actually believe and practice? Well, anyway. There's another reference I think I, I always had fun. That's on YouTube. You go to Crash Course. And um, Crash Course on YouTube is a wonderful reference uh, reference tool. They got everything from physics, games, world history, all kinds of stuff. But they, they have uh, a series just on U.S. government and politics. I want to invite you to go there, YouTube, Crash Course. And I think there's a lot. They they start from the beginning and break down the political system of the United States, and you get so much so much rich information. It's not it's nonpartisan, not biased. It just shows you what it is and helps you to better understand your political system so that you can better engage your political system and not the politicians who will feed you rhetoric just so you know you can. Feel good and vote for them and not get anything done. We don't need a Congress. We don't need a president that's just going to be sensitive to the needs of a few people. We need a president. We need a Congress who's going to work for all people because we are one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and supposedly justice for all. <laughs> ah, But anyway. I don't care where you get your information from. If you follow Rush Limbaugh, fine. If you follow Sean Hannity, fine. If you follow uh, who who's on MSNBC, um, uh, Joe Scarborough on MSNBC, or wherever else you get your information uh, uh, information from, CNN, NBC, MSNBC, Fox News, wherever, you know. If you're a believer, particularly if you're a black believer, if you're in the black church, your first and foremost information comes from scripture. It informs you on how you ought to be. Yeah, I know some folks will say, well, the scripture talked about slavery too. Yeah, it's in there. No denying that. But it talks about how we ought to, you know, support those who are in authority over you. That doesn't mean that we just let them run us. But if we are praying for them, if we are praying, we will see the heart of God for God's people reflected in the actions of those who are in leadership over us. That's what we want. That's what everybody wants. They want a person in office who's going to reflect what they believe the God of their heart and their soul or whatever it is, even if they're non-theistic. They still want to see good. Anyway, I've run out of time. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, next week we're going to do a special no, next week we will not be airing. Next week we'll be in Washington, D.C., uh, lobbying with the National Churches of Christ on uh, several issues. And particularly, I'll be lobbying about gun uh, awareness, gun violence awareness, and things of that nature. But anyway, we'll solicit your prayers to that. And um, as you know, um, up to the first year anniversary of the massacre in Charleston and Emmanuel and Me Church, and there's a lot of events. We'll have some more information about that. We want you to tune in and go again, uh, again, tune in to us regularly. Um, go to the Facebook page. We'll post information about uh, the anniversary events for uh, Charleston, uh, Emmanuel Nine. We'll also be uh, having more updates for you. So we invite you to tune in again. Also, download archive shows for your iTunes. You can get them from iTunes as far back as. 2011. We're glad. We're grateful. But we've got to, got to get out of here until next week. We thank you for your support. This is Pastor Lorenzo Neal, and I am out of here. God bless you, and God keep you. <laughs>